Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect... It's not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead better. Our great coach on this episode is gold medal-winning soccer coach Beverly Priestman. Bev grew up in England, where she completed a bachelor's degree in science and football from Liverpool University. In her early 20s, she moved to New Zealand as Head of Development for the National Football Federation. She then moved to Canada as an assistant to the National Women's Team coach, as well as coaching the Canadian Women's Team at the FIFA Under-17 World Cup. From there, she returned to the UK to work as an assistant for Phil Neville, who was coaching the National Women's Team, and helped guide them to fourth place at the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup in France. Then in 2020, she was appointed head coach of the Canadian women's team and famously led them to a gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics. Bev is a coach who at only 35 years old already has almost 20 years experience across three countries. This perspective, coupled with her energy, gives her a depth of wisdom that is motivating and inspiring. She is strongly values-led, and she talks a lot about the role that bravery has played in her life and how it helped shape the focus of her team so that they could fulfil their mission of changing the colour of the medal at the Tokyo Olympics. Some of the other key highlights of the interview for me were how in high-pressure situations she sees her job as lightening the mood so that people can perform at their optimal level. How getting herself out of her comfort zone and diversifying her experience allowed her to grow in confidence and belief. 
and how she used the pandemic lockdown to self-develop by focusing on who she was as a person, her values and the team culture she wanted to develop. Bev is a coach with what I expect will be a long and successful career ahead of her and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And just before we go to the interview, if you're a first-time listener, you can check out our library of interviews with other great coaches at our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. After requests from some of our listeners, we are also going to start running interactive webinars on the themes that the great coaches discuss. For example, culture, leadership, or high-performing teams. They will be free to join, but numbers will be limited to ensure good discussion and debate. And so if you would like to attend, please let us know using the contact details in the show notes. And now, please enjoy our interview with Beverly Priestman. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Good morning, Bev Priestman. Welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. How are you today? Amazing, Paul. How are you? I'm going okay. It's a bit deep, dark and dreary here in Bucharest, but of course... Maybe you could tell us where you are in the world and what you've been doing so far today. Yeah, so I'm in not-so-sunny Vancouver. It's a gorgeous place in the summer, but in the winter it does rain a lot. So yeah, just start my work day really here. Glad I could get a little bit of your time just before you have a break, because I know you've been in camp as well. So it's great to get this chance to talk to you. And maybe I'll also ask, because some of our listeners won't know where that fantastic accent comes from. So maybe you could tell us about that as well. Yeah, so originally born in the northeast of England, a small town called Concert, which is actually famous for steelworks, um, but a small working class town up north in England. But I've got a bit of a blended accent because as you'll probably unpick in this interview, I've sort of travelled the world, lived in different parts of the world. But I think that strong, thick northern accent is going to stay with me. Maybe before we get on your journey, let's just start with some of the great coaches you've had experience with. There's John Herdman, Mo Markey and Phil Neville. I'm sure there's many others you've met on your journey as well. But from this perspective, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? I think some of the great coaches, one, they have a way of uh, motivating and untapping something in everyone. Um, They see something in everyone or make you feel that way. Certainly, John Herdman was my coach before he was my boss and I worked for him. And he definitely has this ability to make you feel on top of the world and make you feel like you've got huge potential and and try and help you achieve that potential. And I just think like, yeah, for me, it's much more than X's and O's and, and the tactics. That's like an added bonus. I actually think it's the people skills, the social emotional part of connecting with someone to try and help them perform on demand, because I think that's particularly in the arena that I'm in, that's my job is to help these players perform when it really matters. We'll get into that performance when it really matters and the Olympic gold medal as we go along. But maybe I'll uh, start back at university because you've got a Bachelor's of Science with honours in science and football, which is a great combination. But knowing what you know now, what do you wish they had taught you back then in university? Yeah, I think I learned about muscle metabolism and everything and I've not used it once. I think I think for me, it's like the people part. Again, I'm in a business where you're leading people, you're trying to untap potential. I actually think it's you can have all the degrees in the world, but I think in the modern world, you've got to be able to take a group of people with you and you've got to inspire and, and push forward and, and, and break new barriers. And I think at university, I, because I was in part of the sports team, I think sport teaches you a whole load of life lessons and values. 
But if I was just at university and I just did my degree, I think you lack that people part, the leadership, the working with people, um, all the lessons that you learn through winning, losing, and all of them lessons to be learned. So, Bev, in your early 20s, you abandoned the idea of being a school teacher and you moved to New Zealand, other side of the world, to take up the role as development uh, officer with New Zealand Soccer. It must have been exciting, but perhaps also a little scary. And I'm wondering what you learnt about yourself, given that you just referenced life lessons through that experience. I actually think me going to New Zealand was one of the best things I did. I think, why? Because it's a small country on the other side of the world. And what you learn in a country like that is a lot of innovation going on because they can innovate because they're not dealing with red tape and politics. You can influence people a lot easier. And then the second thing I would say, and because of that, I got my hands on a lot of things. Like I was diverse in my skill set, and I think that is paying off now. And in me being able to lead, shape, tweak, change things because I've got that diverse experience. I think the other thing is a big fish in a small pond. So actually being in New Zealand and coming from England where, you know, you be that small fish in the big pond, it actually filled me with a massive amount of confidence, which I think you speak to a lot of people. You ask my wife, she would say, you've got not arrogance, you've got some of the highest level of confidence I've seen in probably female Um, coaches and I think some of that is born out of I was a big fish in a small pond and that just like it filled me with confidence I got to try things I got to feel I got to like I say get my hands on a whole load of things and I just got out my comfort zone new culture never very very different culture to what I'd grown up with in my in my small hometown and so I think it just like diversified my experiences that ultimately set me up well for, for where I'm at now. It's also one of the most proud sporting nations in the world. And I guess getting to see that up close, whether any sport, New Zealand just had this emotion and passion must have been just so wonderful as well. Yeah, and I think they've got that underdog mentality. But yet you look at the All Blacks, one of the most, they're serial winners. So I would say they punch above their weight in in what they should achieve. And I think that relates a little bit to myself. I've always been motivated by achieving things I shouldn't be able to do. And so, yeah, I think that sport and culture that, like I say, you're mingling with coaches from different sports that, again, where I'm from, football is the only sport, maybe a bit of cricket, but very much I was football through and through. And then you go to New Zealand and you see women's netball, rugby, soccer, like the the list goes on and um, you're rubbing shoulders with other other sports and you're probably talking a little bit more about the how of coaching, not just the what. So I was reading, getting back to this how of coaching, I was actually reading with great interest actually when you said, and this is a quote, I spent the pandemic reinventing myself to be ready to be a senior head coach and it just happened. Canada was a great fit. So I'm really intrigued to know, Bev, what did you do in that time that helped you prepare for this leadership position? So to give a bit of context, so I probably at that point worked 13 years in the game full time. And for anyone working in probably business sport, you're, you're on a hamster wheel. It's not a 40 hour week. It's it's go, 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 major tournament review on to the next one. You don't get a chance to stop. And I'd done in Canada before I moved back to England. I'd done probably about four roles in one. I was pretty burnt out. I went back to England and I was clear that I wanted to do one job, do it well, and that was to work with senior players. And I did that as an assistant to Phil Neville. 
And anyway, in the pandemic, it hit just as Phil sort of had taken a new direction. The FA had gone in a different direction with a head coach. And so I was sat there wondering, probably the lowest point of my career, because I have always had a purpose and knew where I was going and I was on a path. And very much I was like self-doubt and, yeah, probably the lowest point of my career. And then the pandemic hits. And in that moment, I got to stop and I got to reflect. Little things, listening to podcasts all the time, walking the dog. And I think what I did is I locked myself in a room and started to articulate who I was as a coach because I'd worked under John Herdman for nine years. And for anyone that works under a mentor, you, you copy a lot until you create and you become your own sort of coach. And then I got this experience of working for Phil Neville, who was the complete opposite of John Herdman. He played for Sir Alex Ferguson, um, one of the greats for many, many years. So I got to see a different way of doing things. So in that pandemic, I locked myself in a room. I developed like who I am as a person. What are my values? What will my culture look like? How do I want to play? And so I articulated this and became really, really clear about who I am, what I was going to be about. Should that first senior head coaching position come up? And obviously Canada, they came calling um, from my previous time there and I felt really ready, refreshed and clear to take on that position. Bev, you have such drive and you take such a deliberate approach to your own self-development. However, I'd like to spin it around a little bit and ask you when it comes to the development of your staff and your players, is there any particular methods that you've used that have produced better results than others? Yeah, I think like what I would say I have to be as a leader and any leader, I think you have to get your head above the clouds. So that can be a run, that can be whatever it is that allows you to zoom out. Like right now, going into the holiday period, I'm the most zoomed out I've been all year because I've been so operational. So I would say as a leader, my job is to get my head above the clouds and to be able to do that, I've got to have the right staff, the right players around me to, to allow that space to happen. And when I get my head above the clouds, it's a chance to slow down a little bit like I did in, in lockdown and reflect like what was the last tour, what needs to be the message and going into the next tour, what are the good questions that I need to ask this group or this group of staff to get them to reflect like I have. And so I wouldn't say sort of professional development, personal development, not so much, but I think my job is to ask the hard questions that sometimes either people are thinking and won't ask or just haven't had that chance to stop reflecting and they're on the hamster wheel going around and I've got to make sure as a head coach that I allow myself the time to to do that. Are there any killer questions or ones that you use regularly to lift that self-awareness? No, I, I wouldn't say so. Like it's little things like what is it that got us on top? What's going to keep us on top? What's going to stop us from when in the, it's very open questions that I think you'll get a true honesty. And, and part of that is creating an environment where people feel safe and comfortable um, to be able to say what they think, but then also an environment that pushes and challenges and drives a comfort zone. Because I think when people get out the comfort zone, you see a whole new level to what they can bring. So I would say just open questions, questions that take the brain to us being on the top of the podium or us coming dead last and preparing the brain for that and and asking those hard questions. Bev, you coached that 
the Canada team into gold, but you had them through many youth tournaments earlier on when you were in the development role in Canada. But it was what you said to them in Tokyo that caught my eye. I'd like to play it back to you actually before I ask the question. This is the quote. You say, I did say to that group that if we have the time of our life, we'll do well, end quote. You didn't say anything about hard work or dedication, but instead a focus on having the time of our life. Why did you think that was the most important message to give at that time? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. I think, well, for me, the hard work and the dedication, that's a given. I think anyone that is in high-performance sport puts the shirt on. Like That's a given. I wouldn't have selected them for the Olympics had that not been the case. I think what I realise is in big, big moments, right, in Olympic games, some players, it's their first one for Christine Sinclair, might have been a fourth one. But there's enough pressure there, enough pressure, enough scrutiny. Um, my job is to lighten that and, and, like I say, provide an environment where they can perform on demand. And then the second thing I would say, and this is something I learned under working with Phil, I, I've been in many, many major tournaments and I've always come back having lost weight, exhausted, you know, you, you get to that third, fourth, fifth week on the road and, and you're dead. I went to the World Cup in 2019. What I learned about myself is I had the time of my life and I felt the best I'd ever felt, the lightest. And I would say I performed the best I've ever performed. So I'd learned that about myself. To get the best out of myself, I have to have a lightness. I have to have an enjoyment. And I think, like, translated that into the players. Like, they have to feel, they have to love coming to camp, and be themselves, bring their personality. It has to be an environment where they can thrive because ultimately we only get them for, let's say, 10 days every month, every six weeks. They're working hard day in, day out outside of that environment. We've just got to create that environment to get the best out of them. And I felt them having the time of their lives together, enjoying being together, particularly in a pandemic where you couldn't leave the hotel room, right? You were, you were in a hotel, you could only leave to go to train and come back. It wasn't like a normal Olympics. And so I knew for this team to survive, they had to love being together and and enjoy little things like Mario Kart competitions and things that were going to get the best out of them. In that gold medal match that you famously won by beating Sweden in a penalty shootout, what did you learn about handling pressure from seeing your team in that moment? It was weird. I actually can't recall feeling that much pressure. I know that's crazy. The, the biggest amount of pressure I felt was in the Brazil game. We went to penalty 
shootout, which was the, the quarterfinal. To, and the reason why is because if we'd gone out in that Brazil game, we couldn't achieve our vision, which was to change the colour of the medal. And I remember in that shootout feeling it more than ever, like Christine Sinclair missed a penalty, which is unheard of. And I'm sat there on the, well, stood there on the sideline thinking, this cannot be. And I didn't know at the time whether it would be our last tournament or not. I've since learned, and thank God that she probably will go again to the World Cup. But I remember thinking this cannot be her last, last go for what she's given this country. So Brazil, I felt the pressure. Sweden, I made sure. So we beat the US for the first time in 21 years to achieve our goal of changing the colour of the medal. And my big thing as a coach was that can't be it, right? Everyone was like, wow, we did it. We beat the US, which is a little bit like Australia, New Zealand. We beat the US. We've changed the colour of the medal. We've achieved our vision. But then I'm like, we're off to a final of Olympic Games. We'll never get this moment back. So what I did is, is I actually gave the players the day off in the village. I, I could have done the opposite. I could have done more meetings, more tactics, more... And I really, a little bit like what I was saying before, I lightened the load. I had the best day of my whole Olympics. I had a nap, longest nap I've had in the whole Olympics. I went on a massage chair. I made sure that I felt light because I knew the energy that would have been taken from us to beat the US took us everything. We needed to get that back. And so I think in the in the final, it almost didn't feel like a final. And I know that sounds weird, but it's because we didn't have any fans in the stands it was a bit airy. It was a bit... So that pressure actually for me personally, of course, I was like on it and I wanted to win and all the rest of it. But it, I knew in that penalties, one, we'd practice them more than any other team. We'd put a whole load of work into it. So I felt prepared. And what will be, will be. And that's kind of what I felt. But the elation when Julia Grosso hit the ball in the back of the net, I think in that moment, I was like, oh my God, we did it. It did look pretty excited on the video afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, talking about you, Christine Sinclair, your captain, uh, when she was reflecting on the team's triumph in Tokyo, she said of you, she had instilled this belief and this bravery that maybe we hadn't had in the past and we lived throughout it the course of the entire tournament. So building self-belief in others is not an easy thing to do. If someone was listening and wanted to raise that level of belief in a team or an individual, what would you advise them to do? There's a bit of backstory there. So I talked about before in the uh, in COVID that I sort of defined who I was and one of my values, and it links to my story really, you know, going to New Zealand, out my comfort zone, Canada, young age, um, was bravery one of my values. And what I did is in my first camp with the team, I knew for me personally, this jigsaw piece that was missing from a bronze team to a gold was self-belief. And so I, yeah, I got them to rate the values on a scale of one to 10. And I knew the bravery, for me personally, my opinion, this team would have rated at the lowest. We we need to be braver. So anyway, the players, the staff, no new news to me was that it was the lowest rated. So that became the sort of mantra for that Olympic medal was we were going to be the bravest team and what did brave look like? And we unpicked it. And I asked them, like, what was the bravest this team's been? Why? When? Where? And essentially on that journey over the nine months, and actually it was six months really from, from my first camp, the players came up with a slogan. It was rush, rise up, step higher. And rise up for them meant turning up in a big moment, right? Which is bringing your own identity. So if I think a Desiree Scott in my team, she's the she'll make the big tackles in the big moments. That's who she is. That was her rise up. 
but the step higher part was going from bronze to gold. So stepping higher meant doing something more than you've ever done. So every player had their own step higher target, which was a bravery target because it's a sum of parts, right? Every If 11 players are braver than they've ever been, you'll get a braver team. And so that bravery part was just individual. It was process driven. I didn't want the outcome to be we go and get a gold medal. It was behaviours that I knew would improve and, and make the team step higher. So I think it just was celebrating regularly after every session, every game. I would highlight brave, brave decisions, brave conversations, brave actions on the pitch to just constantly reinforce the confidence and, and driving the team to do more. And so players could take risks because I think to be brave, you've got to take risks. And, and really bravery isn't acting, it's acting in spite of fear. It's okay to have fear acting in spite of fear and that was some of the conversations that we had as a group oh it's a great story thank you for sharing it i um i hadn't seen that acronym rush in any of the material i used preparing for today so that's fantastic i love it actually getting back to this brave conversation thing i'd like to drill into that a little bit because i read where you actually talk about wanting the pressure and scrutiny that comes with a head coach role yeah but when there is inevitably feedback or criticism that goes with it do you have any particular ways of dealing with it that you found more helpful than others? Yeah, I think I've surprised myself because I remember I got the job and my wife said, whatever you do, don't be too nice because I'm genuinely just a nice, nice person. And so I think what I've learned is under pressure, you get the best out of me. I'm a little bit like, and it might be a little bit of ADHD, I'm not sure, but I'm a last minute.com. You get the best out of me in them moments when it has to be done tomorrow or when it's a big assignment it would have been at university, whatever that looks like. Um, I've made some big, tough decisions that actually have surprised myself in this last sort of period. But I have, you know, obviously there's always criticism, but I think it actually drives me. It can do one or two things to people. It can affect their self-confidence, but I never want to feel that criticism again. And so it, it drives me to find another level. It's like this Mexico tour we just had. We missed a lot of players, but people won't know that and altitude and all these things. But I'll make sure that that never happens again, that we never get beat off Mexico because it's it's like a, I've learned about myself. I actually enjoy, I, I actually hate losing more than I enjoy winning. And I think that's the driver in me is I, I don't like I'll make sure I'll do anything to make sure we don't lose. So tell me if you'd be comfortable enough to share it, a piece of criticism that has driven you to the success that you've enjoyed recently. Well, I think one of the lowest points of my career at youth level, I we didn't qualify the under 20 team. We lost on penalties to Mexico. At the time, you're just on a wheel, right? And oh, okay, well, it was this, it was that. Again, when you take a step out of your role, you reflect. And I remember I was locked in my room. I was living tactics on my computer, but I wasn't connecting with people. I was a five-year version of Bev Priestman that now refuses to be a computer coach. That's sort of the joke in my staff. I'm like, no, like I need to have my head above the clouds. I need to have that clarity. And so there was a whole load of criticism with that. And inadvertently, I've gone away, I've got better, I've come back and I've, I've won a gold medal. So I think just some of them moments define you, but you don't actually know it in the moment. You probably get defensive and, you know, keyboard warriors and all of this sort of stuff. But actually, it, it drove me to work harder to be better. And here I am with that gold medal, hungrier than ever to make sure it wasn't just a one-off for this team. If I have another great quote from you. 
This one is particularly good, and I think uh, I'll read it, try to read it slowly and correctly because it's one I was sharing with my daughters earlier and they thought it was good too. And you say, for young aspiring female coaches or players who are coming out of the game and want to get into coaching, I do think having a female role model as Canada's coach, I do think that's important. Could you tell me about one of your role models and what you learned from them? Yeah, so... If I talk about the impact of a female, I think I've realised since coming back from the Olympics the importance of having a female do well on the world stage. I, I don't think I valued it as much as I have, but I know that a lot of female coaches now see and the, you dream it, but then you go and see it happen. I think my Mo Marley, who, you know, when I was at university, she was at Everton Ladies. And like I said, I'm from a small town. I was the only girl who played on my team and all the rest of it. For the first time, I got to see Mo Marley, who was a professional coach at Everton Ladies. And I went down to the training sessions six weeks in a row, put a cone down, and eventually she got me involved. But I think for the first time, I got to see a strong female who was making a profession out of being a soccer coach. And that was obviously many years ago. It's very different now. But that definitely inspired me to say, listen, actually, I can make a career out of this because... As a kid growing up, I'd only ever seen Kevin Keegan, Alex Ferguson, like the men's Premier League um, male coaches. That that was all I'd seen. And for the first time in my career, I got to be around, watch, learn around a female coach. And I think that gave me that kick to say, I'm going to be a full-time professional coach. And, and of course, here I am. With a gold medal. Bev, if I could take you back and introduce you to that young girl in County Durham, who was the only girl on the football team with all the boys, knowing what you know now, what would you tell her? Dream big. I think I have absolutely no regrets in any career path I've taken, but I think one thing I've always done is dream big. Yeah, that that would absolutely, I, I wouldn't change a thing. It would be to dream big because I think you dream big, you have passion, you ultimately then, passion means hard work and you work hard for whatever you do and you'll you'll go and achieve your, your dreams. Bev, you've been really generous with your time given that you're about to take off and enjoy a break. So maybe I could finish with just one final question and perhaps a quote to give it context. You say, things can be difficult for female coaches. It's never a straight path. There are always obstacles. But if you're passionate about what you do and you dream big, sometimes good things come your way. So I guess in the distant, distant future, when you do retire, what's the legacy you hope you've left as a coach? I think I would like to two things. I've done things I shouldn't have been able to do. So young, I achieved X, Y, and Z. That's in me. It's where I'm, I'm a bit of a, what you would say where I'm from is that I'm a bit of a scrapper. I want to fight for things that, that I shouldn't be able to do. But I think the most important thing for me is I want to have left a footprint on the people that I've worked with. I want to have impacted them, not just as soccer players, as staff, as practitioners, as people, because I think what I've learned, my mum and dad, you hand down values and, and then values live with you forever. I think I would have liked to have impacted the way that the people I work with see the world. I've seen things in people, I've helped people try and achieve their potential. I think that's more important to me than anything else. I think potential and helping people get there is a wonderful way to finish. So I'd like to thank you for your time. My evening, your morning over there in Vancouver and wish you all the best for the rest that you're going to enjoy over the holiday season. Thanks a lot. 
Hi everyone, it's Jim here, and you've been listening to the great coach Beverly Priestman. Such a great conversation. Some of the key highlights for me were how she uses criticism to drive herself forward, and I love this, her focus on bravery as a core team behavior, and the team trademark of Rush, which stands for Rise Up, Step Higher, to help them achieve their mission of changing the color of their Olympic medal. Her view that as a leader, it's important that you get your head above the clouds and set the vision, and that in order to do that, you have to have the right staff and players around you, and her use of open, confronting questions to help the team and the support staff raise their self-awareness. I hope you enjoyed this as much as Paul and I did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Chris Bennett from Australia who said, I'd recommend this podcast, always interesting, with handy tips on coaching and life. And Alana Thomas, who is also one of our great coaches, who said, loved listening to the Heinekenmeyer podcast and how he followed his dream even after others tried to stop it. Chris, Alana, thank you. It's the interaction with people like you from around the world who listen to us that give us great energy. All the details on how you can connect with us and other people who are interested in the leadership insights from great sports coaches are in the show notes. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.